In every job that must be done, there is an element of fun. Fun, 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 fun. Light speed to the wondrous and wonderful. Cover is not there, but so open it up and take a look. Ah, if it isn't the only bookworm in town. What's that word again? Inspired. I have to sing. I have to play. The music, it's, it's not just in me. It is me. We're happier when you don't sing. Welcome to Notably Disney your ultimate podcast covering Disney music and books. I'm Brett Nackman, your host. Here we dig a little deeper and explore the great wide somewhere about everything under the Walt Disney Company umbrella as it pertains to tunes and writing, from the theme parks and television screens to the Broadway stage and the silver screen, if it relates to anything Disney songs, soundtracks, books, articles, or other things that you can listen to, or read about involving Disney, we'll examine it here. On this episode of Notably Disney, I am thrilled to be bringing on Alton Fitzgerald White, who many of you may know for playing Mufasa in The Lion King on Broadway and also in Las Vegas, and even on its first national tour nearly two decades ago. He's also known for a lot of his work with Disney on Broadway via concerts, and performances at a number of different Disney-related venues around the country and even globally. He's the author of My Pride, Mastering Life's Daily Performance, a really great autobiography, and also recorded his own Disney-themed album where he put his spin on some classic Disney tunes. That's Disney My Way. So over the next hour, you're going to hear my conversation with Alton as he talks about his childhood, career, various life experiences, and ways in which Disney has allowed him to explore new opportunities, too. So it was a real blast and such a great honor. So I am very excited to bring to you all of you on this episode my conversation with Alton Fitzgerald White. Joining me today on Notably Disney is Alton Fitzgerald White, an acclaimed Broadway actor, perhaps best known for playing the wise Mufasa in The Lion King for a record 4,308 performances. Uh, In addition to having starred in many beloved productions over the past several decades, he has begun a new chapter uh, in recent years by penning a compelling and visceral autobiography called My Pride, Mastering Life's Daily Performance. And did I mention that he has an album called Disney My Way and regularly performs all over the world for Disney concerts, including at Epcot and on Disney Cruise Line. Um, I saw Elton perform at D23 Expo last year, um, and it was fantastic. And today we're going to detail his book, which chronicles his childhood, career, and life lessons, as well as various Disney projects and experiences that have contributed 
to the really incredible and inspirational individual he is today. I had a blast reading his book, and I'm really honored to have him on today. So welcome to Notably Disney, Elton. Thank you so much. It's great to be here, Brett. Well, as, as I was kind of saying in the intro, you've, you've covered a lot in your life, and it was just really captured so beautifully in your book, um, which is going to really encompass a big part of our dialogue today. But I'm hoping um, and thinking about all the different places in which we could start. Could you maybe share with listeners a little bit about the factors that led to you writing about your life and capturing it via this Disney Editions published book? Sure. Um, you know, I always fantasized about, you know, being able to write a book. Um, and I say fantasize because I didn't really think it would ever happen. Um, <laughs> I have not been the most patient person in the world. I'm very much an Aries. You know anything about Aries people where, you know, nothing ever happens fast enough for us. But as I've, you know, continued to live my life and had different kinds of experiences that I, that I enjoyed sharing, I thought, man, it would be great to someday take the time to sit down and write so many lessons that I've learned. I mean, we all learn lessons daily as human beings, but in the performing arts, it's a different kind of world, you know, where you, uh, it's a very isolated world in some kind of ways because there are many times when you, you, we have these absurd experiences that you can't really explain to anyone. Um, and it is your world as an artist. You know, you share the world with other people, but you see the world in very specific ways. Um, so as I've, as I've had some of these really crazy, absurd experiences, and a lot of them um, experiences about overcoming, you know, going through having challenges, very personal challenges that no one else would understand and conquering them in ways that no one else would understand Yet, at the same time, everything being universal, I just wanted to share many of those things. And when I was doing Lion King, I reached a milestone of 4,000 performances. And it was Disney celebrated it, made a big deal out of it. And it was really, really wonderful because I didn't really expect it. I, I didn't really expect it. I acknowledged it myself because it was a personal triumph. But for Disney to come in and have a big celebration and alert all, alert all the news media and things like that about it was really like icing on the cake. But a flip side of that, the congratulations and the wonderful messages I received all over the world was that people kept telling me how lucky they thought I was. Washington, oh, you're so lucky. You're so lucky that Disney loves you. You're so lucky that you've had a, such a great career in the business. And, and I was like, luck? Hmm. It felt like a backhanded compliment because I don't believe in luck. I believe anything that is called luck expires and if you do believe in luck and it does expire what are you left with you're left with your character you're left with who you really are and you're left with the level of discipline you you have you have or do not have so you know after people calling me lucky so many times and they feeling like a backhanded compliment i said let me take a moment to just kind of write down what i've sacrificed to reach this milestone and part of that was you know sacrificing family time uh, doing eight shows a week. You only have one day off and you're trying to cram a life into that one day. Um, you're trying to find time to maintain friendships and relationships. I miss so many weddings and funerals and different events in my family's lives. I'm the only one of seven kids who doesn't live in my hometown. I'm the only one who moved away 
to another state. I'm the only family I have in New York City. And I miss those things because I would weigh what's, you know, I know I love my family, but I also love my career and I was dedicated to my art. So I, many times I chose to do the performance because it was what I committed to. And I mean, I would send gifts and things like that in place of missing these major events in my family. But, you know, you can't really explain that to anyone. People don't really understand that sacrifice that, yes, I chose this path. I mean, part of it was being so grateful to be a working actor that I committed to it and, and, and wanted to pay tribute to it. So I would choose work over these events. Um, and relationships, you know, intimate relationships. People, it's really, it can be really challenging doing eight shows a week where your schedule's opposite everyone else's. You know, you used to have your days free, which you really don't, because you spend your day preparing for that evening show and last minute auditions and trying to get to the gym or yoga, things to maintain your body and spirit. So your whole day is taken up and you have one day off. So even finding people that can deal with that schedule is challenging. So after I wrote these things down, I, you know, I, I thought, wow, let me, I took the courageous step and shared it with the, someone that I trusted and they encouraged me to keep writing. This person is, is in the business as well and said they never really seen anyone write out what we go through, what we sacrifice for our art. So I kept writing and kept writing and then sharing it with friends who were out of the business, doctors, lawyers, um, teachers, and they all agreed that this wasn't just about artists. This pertains to anyone who's trying to do anything consistently well. So I kept writing, and then I had a meeting with Thomas Schumacher, the head uh, president of Disney Theatrical, who had just released a book about a year before, just to ask him about, you know, when he wrote, um, what, asked him about his process, and he asked if he could see what I was reading, what I was writing, I said, sure, I sent him some chapters. And uh, shortly after he said, I think Disney might be interested in publishing this. He goes, I don't know anyone with your track record. I, he learned a lot about me in what he read and thought it could help other artists. Um, so next thing I know, I got a, a literary agent. I found an editor um, and the book was released. I still can't believe that I wrote a book. <laughs> But I really saw it as an act of service, that it was uh, something that I really wanted to share uh, to help those of us who are in the business now to find balance. And also for anybody who was thinking about pursuing the business, like what, what certain things to look out for. Um, in terms of the title, the My Pride comes from that sense of pride that no one can take away from you. I mean, we all know when we're doing the very best we can. We all know when we're kind of slacking off and, and kind of like not doing as well as we could. Um, but when you are doing your best, no matter how it comes out, that feeling of pride for putting forth the best effort you possibly can in that moment, that feeling of pride is the most important feeling I think there is. Um, also, my pride in terms of, you know, thinking about Lion King, thinking about groups, family, the people we surround ourselves with, it's important to surround yourself with a pride, a group of people who encourage you, who inspire you. And the second part of the title, Mastering Life's Daily Performance, we're all doing the very best we can to be the best version of ourselves daily. And it was great to just 
get an opportunity to share things that have helped me to be my best self daily. Um, and a lot of that has to do with self-nurturing. A lot of it has to do with service. Um, and service, I mean um, sharing as artists. And we're all artists. You know, we're all constantly serving. But it's important to know how we're serving, how we're sharing. Are we sharing good stuff? Are we sharing bad stuff? Are we sharing uh, positivity? Or are we sharing um, pessimism? So those are kind of some things that inspired me to start writing. And again, I still cannot believe that I actually wrote a book and that it's been published, especially published by Disney Editions. I mean, that's beyond, that's beyond my wildest dreams. Well, I appreciate you giving all that context. What, what I really appreciated as a reader is that it it did not follow necessarily the conventions of a typical autobiography. Um, what I valued was that you really incorporated a lot of different um, genres and mindful elements of it, whether it be the quotes um, or at the end of every chapter, the food for thought questions. You talk a lot about the, the challenges that you faced um, both in your um, upbringing and also um, just as an up and coming performer. How did you determine, in terms of from a balanced standpoint, what topics that you really wanted to make more salient or and kind of incorporate into this um, into this complete package? Well, you know, I gotta I gotta really give a big shout out to my editor, Michael Lassell. Um, you know, having a good editor makes all the difference in the world because you know, as a writer, you you want to write, but it's hard to find. The focus is hard to, to come up with the chapter titles. He really helped me with a lot of that. He helped me organize a lot of it. I did know from the start that I wanted you to, to read my story, but also remember your story as you're reading it. That's why I have the questions at the end of every chapter so that you can go like, you see that I've, you just read that I've overcome a certain challenge. And I want you to remember, you know, how far you've come. You know, what did what kind of things did you deal with as a child that you felt were impossible to overcome, but you did? Because it's important to remember our history. Because you look back and you see, oh my goodness, especially in those moments of doubt, when you have doubt in the present, to look back and see how far you've come, that can encourage you to keep moving toward the future, toward the destiny, the wonderful positive things that are waiting for you. So I knew that I wanted, I wanted you to not just read my story go, wow, this dude's been through a lot. Like, yeah, he has, but so have I. I wanted you to find the commonalities as you read the story. And, and what I love about that too, and, and you illustrated that really nicely in, in what you said as well, there's this almost there's almost this element of like uh, collectivism, right? This notion of shared experiences, even yeah. though there, there are different um, attributes that mark an individual's journey. There are certain common understandings. And I think yes. those those quotes and the reflection questions kind of bring that all together. Thank you. I mean, quotes, are, that's another thing that I knew for sure that I wanted to um, make a part of the book because quotes get me through. I have certain daily quotes sent to me every day. So as soon as I check my email, there's there are several quotes there waiting for me. And you, I don't think we can ever be reminded enough of the positives that exist in the world, especially you know, with the challenging times we're all universally going through right now. We need to be pumped up. We need to be reminded 
that there's a better day ahead. We need to, need to be reminded that we've come so far and, you know, that we will continue to grow and change and conquer and succeed. Um, so the, that's something I knew that I definitely wanted to, to, to make a part of it, to um, hopefully encourage other people that, yeah, those quotes. I mean, a lot of the quotes, you think about some of the things that our parents told us when we were kids. You know, you're going through something and your mother or your father say, well, this too will pass. And you go, yeah, sure, whatever. But you look, when you grow up, you go, yeah, things do eventually pass, you know? So a lot of those quotes really do help us. We, a lot of us were raised with these little sayings and quotes from our family and friends that still hold true today. I love the notion behind that. And and speaking of uh, really compelling quotes that resonate, one that stood out to me in the book was what you wrote, quote, the authentic lasting prize is an acknowledgement of success that is already within you. Mm-hmm. How, yes. how and when did you realize that within yourself? Because I know you talk about many transitions in your life, particularly in your childhood, that really um, defined who you were and gaining that degree of self-confidence and in, in who you were as a person and performer. But can you maybe elaborate on the notion of that quote? Because it's it really stuck with me. Thank you. Um, is that a quote that I wrote, a quote that someone else that I, that I got from someone else? I, I believe it was you. But um, wow. in, in, in any case, the, just the, the utility of it seems very apropos given the context Thank here. Thank you. I, I asked you that because another thing that my editor did, he challenged me to write my own quotes. He said, you know, it's great to have other people's quotes, but Alton, I need some that, that you believe that come from your, you know, your brain that you made up. And I thought, wow, that sounds like something that I would, <laughs> I would say, but I wasn't sure because there's so many quotes. But So thank you for pointing that out. Um, getting back to your question, um, you know, when I look back and I think about the kid who grew up in the housing projects of Cincinnati, Ohio, youngest of seven kids, uh, the only boy in the household besides my father, who was an alcoholic, who seemed to dislike me. And it took me years to, to realize that his alcoholism wasn't about me. It was about him and his disease. And then finding compassion for it. I look back at that frightened kid thinking, how am I going to get out of the situation, constantly bullied, bullied at school, bullied for being a smart kid, bullied for being obedient because, you know, being a, a, uh, being a nerd was not cool, especially in the projects. And I look at my life now and I go, wow, this success was already waiting for me. The things that I have, the, the level of integrity that I have, the, um, the, yeah, the success that I have was already there waiting for me. Of course, I needed to make certain choices along the way. And a lot of those choices I made as a kid were tough choices to make. It was tough to, to you know, I tried being a bad kid. It didn't work for me. It didn't feel right for me. So I felt like a lot of my childhood, I was going against the grain. You know, I was called teacher's pet. I was teased about that. I was teased about my daddy, my father being a neighborhood drunk. I was teased about being um, an effeminate kid because I was raised by women. I had five sisters. I was teased teased for being polite. I mean, these are things that in my adult life served me well, but as a kid who just wanted to belong, were really tough. And I had to make certain choices to go, okay, well, I, I can't go against my character, not even knowing, having those words to describe it as a kid, but going, well, this is who I am in this lifetime. I do like being polite. I do like order. I do... Um, want to succeed. Um, 
I went against the grain. And to look back and go, wow, that was already in me. That success, I tell kids this all the time when I do master classes and workshops and things like that. Um, you know, your success is already inside of you. A lot of your life will be spent getting things out of the way, other, getting other people's voices out of your head, other people's doubts and expectations, and really getting to the core of who you are and what it is that you want and what it, what it is you want to share or the things that you want to share with the world. So I believe that those things are already within us. And of course, choice is, it, it involves free will. Um, and you get to choose the kind of life that you want. Absolutely. And, and you kind of, and you touched on this just a, a minute ago too, is the notion of, you know, mentoring um, next generation of performers. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and you, you also um, address some of that um, type of work in, in your book as well, as far as giving back that notion of that attitude of service, um, yeah. which is just lovely. And I, I think that really transcends any, any discipline, but this notion of, a, of sincerity, it really shines through within the book. And I'm wondering as far as how you view yourself as a, a role model with, um, with offering these workshops and, and mentoring um, up and comers from the standpoint of it's not just talent that gets people far. It's also who they are in terms of their character. Yes. How, how does that manifest in terms of your work and the, the lessons that you relate to others? Well, you know, I always tell people, you know, students and my, my colleagues, you know, if you're talented, you'll always work somewhere because, you know, talent will always be needed. Um, but if you want a career, it takes planning and it also takes knowing who you are and, and knowing who you're showing up as. I know so many talented people who nobody wants to work with because they're considered high maintenance, too needy, um, their egos are too large, um, they're seen as selfish and only thinking about themselves and not the rest of the cast or the group or the, uh, yeah, the, the other performers they're performing with. And those things, are very important. You know, your reputation is as important as your talent. You can be a very talented person, but if nobody wants to work with you, what are you going to do with their talent? You know, sing to yourself in a room, (laughs) you know, um, only, as opposed to, you know, having the opportunity to share it with the world. Um, Character. Character is very, very important. And it's something that... uh, yeah, it needs to be addressed. You need to know what you're giving for yourself. And getting back to pride and the, the people that you that you spend your time with, it's important to be around people who have the kind of character that you admire and that you respect and people who tell you the truth. Like when I'm having a situation uh, with another performer or anything, any, any artistic something I'm doing, I feel like... I feel some pushback. I feel like, well, maybe I've been disrespected or underappreciated or or anything like that, anything negative. I have people I can go to to go, okay, this is what happened. And this is how it made me feel. And I'm thinking about responding this way. Um, I don't want to come off as like, I'm, like my ego has been hurt. I really, because it really is about serving the, pro- serving the project that we're all involved in. So given all of that, you know, how 
do you think I'm taking this personally based on what I just told you? Do you think that I have a that I have a right to kind of like, you know, am, am I perceiving this the right way? Um, if you don't have those kind of people, if you don't have that kind of support system set up, it's so easy to ruin your reputation without even knowing you did. You understand what I'm saying? Yeah, absolutely. That makes yeah, because, really good sense. Because, you know, as, a, as, a, as an artist, well, as a human being, we all have to set boundaries, you know, and you want to make sure you're setting the right kinds of boundaries and that you're setting those boundaries for the right reason, not because of your ego, because, but because of, you know, you're trying to serve the project, serve the production, serve that something that you've committed to. And, you know, we all perceive things differently. You know, I've been on stage with some other actors who, um, you know, one of those nights they just want to goof off. So they're giving the lines in a way that are, you know, that they think are funny. And it's up to me to go, well, hey, wow. I mean, I may feel like, man, that's really inappropriate, but all I can do is control my part of it. I'm going to keep playing the scene the way it's supposed to be played. I can't, what you're, what you're going through is none of my business. I'm only really responsible for my part. But if you don't have the discipline and the character to really play those words, play the truth of those words and not give in to like, okay, well, they're having fun. So, you know, I'm going to goof off with them. No, that's not appropriate. But if you don't have those things in check, you may go down with the sinking ship. And that's just one example. I, I think that really example, exemplifies um, that idea um, and, and the notion of productions being that team effort. And, and throughout the book, you talk about your various roles that um, you held for different periods of time. Sometimes the, the conflicts you encountered, um, both um, on stage or behind the scenes and off, um, uh, there's a, a lot of um, rawness and transparency and, and thoughtfulness behind it. But as I was reading the book, what I appreciated is even though Mufasa and the Lion King is your most iconic role and and certainly kind of the the launching pad behind the um, the, the title um, in, in certain ways with the, the pride element, the pride of lions, Lion King really is, is only reserved to a, a chapter. So later in the book, in thinking about Mufasa, um, this role that you played on and off for more than a decade. Are there particular characteristics that you associate with this with this classic role? Yeah, um, there are. And a lot of those characteristics I got to develop, blessedly, while playing Mufasa. Um, you know, I did three different productions of it. I opened the national tour, then I was invited into the Broadway company, and then I was asked to go open the company in Vegas, which was a whole new company, which was a wonderful, um, and in between that time, I stepped away from Mufasa and, and played Mr. in the Color Purple, completely different character. So then to come back to Mufasa in Vegas a couple of years later, I had a different kind of maturity, a different kind of appreciation for him. And then coming back into the Broadway company again was a whole other wonderful experience. I, you know, when I first was cast as Mufasa, it was really tough for me to play him because, you know, I was younger and I was like, man, he's only on stage for like, you know, a short amount of time. I want to be in the whole show. And, and he only has a certain amount of lines to say. He only has one song. And, you know, I had so much more I wanted to share. And then, you know, stepping away from it after five and a half years and playing Mr., a completely different character, then coming back 
to The Lion King, I was able to appreciate the simplicity of how the role is written. Um, when you are, I felt like I gained a certain amount of wisdom playing Mufasa before, stepping away from him and then coming back. And I realized, yeah, the beauty of simplicity and that part of wisdom is that you don't need a paragraph to explain what you have to say. You know, it's really about finding a few key words to get your point across because there's less to prove. You know, the, with wisdom comes that, yeah, that simplicity. So I was able to appreciate that those lines that Mufasa has been given are very specific and there's all that's needed to explain who he is because there's a certain amount of security that comes with um, wisdom, emotional and spiritual security, I believe. So, and I was able to appreciate the beauty of that song and the lyrics. They say everything. Those lyrics are so universal. They live in you. It's not just about, I mean, it's saying that you know, anybody that you, that's ever touched your life lives in you. Any, any bit of advice you've ever been given, um, any story you've been told that inspired you, any quote from your parents or grandparents or good friend or anybody that you respect, those things live in you as long as you, as Mufasa says to Simba, as long as you choose to remember. So these are things that I got, that I developed as Alton along the way. And then doing Mufasa, I got to really kind of exercise on, on a nightly basis, on a show by show basis. And then those things kind of, kind of bled into my life. Wisdom, integrity, courage, learning to be a good leader. A good leader is not just someone who tells people what to do. A leader is someone who knows how to listen and, then, and problem solve, not by going, I am the leader, you know, you know beating his chest and like, you must follow me, but going, let me see what is needed in the situation. I've got all these different people because nobody does it alone. I've got different committees who are working toward this one goal. And I, as a leader, I get, to, I get to oversee all of it and figure out the best thing to do for the group, not just for myself. That's good leadership. So these are things that I was that I, I felt were trying to find me in my life and realize that you know, my art helped me heal a lot of those things and, and develop a lot of those incredible characteristics. That's the great thing about being an artist. We, I believe artists are healers. And again, we're all artists, but performing artists, especially because we are, we perform for the public. We get we give them a chance to see things from a different point of view. We give them a chance to use their imagination. Um, so as artists, we heal other people, but we also get to heal ourselves. I love the idea behind that. And, and you, you touched on certain qualities and you, you mentioned the idea of interconnect interconnectedness. And mm -hmm. I was really intrigued by early in the book, you talk about the tremendous curiosity that you had and also your father had for national geographic. Yeah. And I felt it was, I felt it was almost poignant that that notion of nature and interconnectedness really um, comes to surface in, in the Lion King and Mufasa as well. Did, did you, when, when you were playing that role and in reflecting back, have you made those um, types of links between that passion and, and curiosity for the natural world and, and ultimately what your life has, has uh, resulted in? Sure. I mean, it wasn't lost on me ever when I was, you know, when I was, when I was first cast as Mufasa, I thought, oh my God, the savanna, nature, this is, this is what, this is, this is perfect. <laughs> this is just, I love nature. My, one of my 
getaways is, you know, when I get, you know, really overwhelmed with city life here in New York City, you know, I hop in the car and I drive north to Bear Mountain State Park. And I spend the day there just walking and just sometimes just, you know, really getting out and hugging the tree. I just love nature. Nature fills me, reminds me that there's so much more to this world than just us as individuals, as human beings. So it wasn't lost to me that, you know, that Lion King took place on the African savanna. Um, one of the things that I really love about that, you know, writing about my father is, you know, I spent so much of my life pretending, um, not pretending, but not wanting to, to believe that I was anything like my father because my father seemed to dislike me, which I found out later was not the truth. You know, it really was the disease of alcohol, but I didn't like him because I, I, I didn't get certain things from him that I felt that I needed and wanted. Overcoming that, finding compassion for my father's disease and seeing him as a human being, I was able to see, oh my God, like I am my father's child. And to be honest, you know, I couldn't, I wasn't really living a complete life until I came to terms with my father's influence. Because, you know, I gave my mother all the credit for being the steady parent, for being the one who was reliable. But in denying that, I was really hurting myself and cutting off a whole half, if not more, of myself. So to find that compassion and forgiveness for him and for myself, and then to go back and, and see, oh my goodness, my father loved National, National Geographic. I love, I get hooked watching nature shows. I can't learn enough about nature. It just fascinates me. Um, and then also realizing that I get my talent from my father and my father's side of the family. My mother's very, very shy. My father was the one with, with, the, with the big personality. My father was um, very quiet when he was sober. When he drank, he had, his charisma was in full blossom. You know, it would eventually turn nasty and ugly toward the end, where, you know, when, the, when the disease would really kick in. But at first, you saw my father, you saw this light in him. And it's the light that people describe that I have. And I'm grateful that I don't need drugs or any kind of a substance for that to appear in me. It's just something that I get to have, have the benefit of without um, alcohol or drugs or anything like that. So it, it really, really helped me. It, it really, I feel like my life really blossomed once I met the whole other half of my, half of my influence. Because we are our parents' children. We are made up of both. No matter what kind of relationship you have with, e with either of your, of your parents, you consist of both of their qualities. And I think in, in facing it, you get to see the beauty. Yeah, there's the yin, which may be negative, but there's always an opposite side. There's always, there's two sides to everything. And I am just so grateful. Like, I, I talk to my father all the time. I have a relationship with my father in spirit that I wasn't able to have in human form. Um, because like I said, what they live in you, you know, realizing all, you know, now finally being able to see the positive things about my father, positive aspects of, of this personality and remembering some of the good things, I'm able to celebrate those and, and I'm proud to, um, that, those part, that those qualities are part of my life. That's that's great, and and I I appreciate you sharing that. I another kind of piece of of this chapter, kind of later, uh, more recently in your career, as you talk about um, kind of 
uh, concluding your your role as Mufasa and engaging in some other creative ventures that allowed you to channel different interests and curiosities was the notion of creating your own Disney-themed album, um, which manifested in Disney My Way, and you have 13 Disney on Broadway hits that are um, rearranged and performed really uh, uniquely in that uh, in that CD. What steps did you employ toward assembling those particular song selections? Because I know you had quite a catalog of of Disney Broadway tunes to choose from once you narrowed that down as your particular focus. Yeah, that was, first of all, doing that CD was so much fun. Um, it was so much fun. Uh, Jim Abbott, who does a lot of work for Disney still, I had done a, an event for Disney. Um, it was a tribute to Sir Tim Rice at the New York Times building. The new New York Times building had just opened. They have a beautiful, beautiful performing space. And I was asked to be a part of this. And Jim was a musical director. And we just clicked. And I knew that it was time for me. I had done uh, my first Disney cruise. I was one of the first performers to go out to represent the um, Disney theatrical with their new relationship between Disney theatrical group in New York and Disney Cruise Line. And I went and did this cruise and I did, had to come up with, you know, Disney tunes and put them in the show. And I did stuff like Part of Your World, you know, um, stuff that I would never yeah. get a chance. And the reception was so amazing. And, you know, and I, I remember when I did Feed the Birds, I had grown men coming up to me with tears in their eyes saying, oh, my goodness, that's my favorite Disney song. It takes me back to my childhood. And I never thought of a man singing it but you the quality of your of your voice singing that song just hit me in a completely different way and it reminded me again that as artists we are healers and i was at that point where i felt like it was time for me to do a theatrical cd i'd done a couple of other pop cds before that the material that i wrote myself mainly dance music inspirational dance music and i thought it's time to do a dis a, a, a theater cd but i want to do it my way and because Disney music, is, it just touches all of our lives in, in such specific ways. No one has not been touched by Disney. No one on this planet has not been touched. Um, <laughs> so I, when I got back to New York after the cruise, I, I, I met with Thomas Schumacher and said, hey, I'm thinking about doing a Disney album. Would you think it's a good idea? And he goes, I think it'd be great. He goes, you know, you'll be on your own. We will not pay for it. I said, I don't want you to pay for it. I want to own it. I want to, you know... Uh, pay for the rights for these songs and this will be a new level of service for me. And I called Jim because we clicked so well and I thought he's probably going to be too busy, but he said, hey, I would love to do it. He goes, the only only thing that I insist is that it has to be fun. I'm like, yes, totally. So then he came to the catalog and Thomas Schumacher said, you know, you can use anything in the Disney catalog you want. It was completely overwhelming. <laughs> so I thought, let me stick to Disney on Broadway. So I, I picked my favorite Disney on Broadway tunes. Jim and I got together, um, just me, him and the piano, and came up with some great arrangements. Then we got in the studio with some musicians, some of the best musicians in New York City, and just kind of jammed out and just kind of wanted, because we wanted to, the, the CD to have a live feel. So then when we got to the studio, we could just lay it down and go for it. And that's what we did. I mean, it was relatively quick. We did it in like, the whole thing took less than a month to do because we, it was just so much fun. We just kept going. 
And then we, when we brought the orchestra in for the full arrangements, again, the orchestra full of people who play on Broadway, the best musicians in all of New York City, some of the best musicians in the world, which is such a blessing to have them on this project. They got so into it that they donated extra time because it was fun. And next thing you know, it was produced, packaged, and put out into the world. And it's, it's something that I'm extremely, extremely proud of. And every time I hear it, I, I smile because, again, it was just so much fun to do. Oh, I could imagine. I know listening to it, it was just cool to see it. such a mix of, of songs, like from Strangers Like Me to Fortune Favors the Brave, a, a really nice uh, representation of what Disney on Broadway has encompassed over the past 20 plus years. Thank you. And to put my spin on it was really cool. It was really, it was great to go, you know, I love this song, but you know, I, I wonder what, what it would be like as, you know, as a ballad instead of an uptempo or, or vice versa. My favorite song, um, two of my favorites, one is Chim Chim Cherie, to give it that great jazz feel. Mm. was so much fun. Um, Super Cal you know, with the scatting, and I mean, you just don't expect to hear supercalifragilistic that way. And my absolute favorite is uh, the song that Prince Eric sings um, from The Little oh, Mermaid, Her yeah, Voice. Yeah, Her Voice, yeah. Yeah, that was one, I remember when I first heard it, I knew that I wanted to give it a real kind of like a Moroccan driving kind of samba type beat, and it is my, it is by far my favorite on there, just the strings. And Jim surprised me with the strings. I mean, I, I knew we were going to use a band, and I knew that we were going to be using some orchestra pieces, but I, the strings were a complete surprise. So when I heard those strings the first time, I about passed out. When I heard the strings that he put into um, Whole New World, I literally just burst into tears. And again, we committed that, you know, this has to be fun. And it was so fun that people threw in extra just because... Um, it was under the name of, of fun and we in the name of service, the service of having fun. Absolutely. And and recent years for you have encompassed a, a wide variety of different ventures. I know you wrote in your book about the notion of that you want, you know, you have the fear of overstaying your welcome and that's how you, you know, you you viewed Mufasa and wanting to kind of take on new ventures and to always maintain good relationships with people and your your connections to Disney have been uh, really strong, both in the CD that uh, we are just talking about, but also the different concerts you've been a part of. Um, I, I know seeing the the Broadway um, Disney Broadway 25th anniversary concert at D23 Expo was um, a highlight uh, for me in, in my time at the event. And I actually, uh, I meant to mention this earlier, I briefly um, met you and your colleagues during the interview session too. So that was really neat. Ah, um, at the tables. Yes, yes. You were ah. sitting next to the gentleman who started out um, as Aladdin or was starting yes. to play Aladdin. Yeah, very cool. But um, I, I'm wondering, because I know you've been in so many different Disney-related spaces over recent years, what what have been some of the most surprising or rewarding aspects of of taking on this new chapter of your career? Well, the new chapter, well, there's several new chapters. You know, I've become a public speaker, um, which has been amazing. You know, speaking for corporations uh, as a formerly sh really really shy kid who was afraid to get up and even say my name to speak 
in front of 5,000 people and hopefully inspire them. It's just like another unbelievable dream come true. But in terms of Disney, um, it's just been amazing. It's amazing to work for a company that really values relationships and values hard work um, and honors that. And to be a part of a company where you can continue to grow. I mean, I stopped doing, I left The Lion King, it'll be five years in July. And I have done more for Disney. I've, I've been to seven, over, I've been to over 20 countries performing for Disney in the past five years. Um, one highlight was making my Royal Albert Hall debut with the Disney on Broadway concert. And, you know, it, it won an Emmy a couple of years ago for our director. Um, doing the Disney cruises, seeing the world that way. And getting to work with my fellow Disney performers that I love so much. We have such a great time together. I mean, that's huge. To be able to see the world, to be with people that you love, and be paid for it is unbelievable. All with the same company. You know, to still get to invest in this company that has been so good to me, um, that makes me want to continue to be good to them. It's been, yeah, it's been unbelievable. I mean, truly Disney magic, truly. Oh, I, I, can, I, I know it shines through in terms of how audiences respond to the energy that you all bring to the table. And one thing I wanted to, to briefly note on, given the, the timing of our recording, we're, we're talking in mid-April, and of course, we're very much still in the, in the midst of the, um, the repercussions of, of COVID-19 and it affecting so many different um, communities around the world. And, and New York City has been particularly hit. I know in the past, in, in, term, in times of crises, um, folks have turned to the arts as a space for solace and escapism and recognizing that for many of your colleagues who, who are currently um, on the Broadway stage and, and not being able to perform, it, this is definitely a, a different reality for, yeah. for all of us. What, in terms of your, your experiences and perceptions for, for those of you who are um, notable in the performing arts and Broadway community, how, how are you reconciling the repercussions of this in terms of being able to connect with audiences during, um, during these difficult periods? Well, it's been really great to see how people are doing it in different ways. People are posting, people who would never ever sing <clears throat> on social media are sharing songs of hope. Um, people are giving workshops. People are doing, um, have started their own sort of like little variety shows. This With the Zoom, I mean, Zoom has like become the new thing. People are getting together um, via Zoom. Um, they're having cast reunions. Uh, people are doing concerts in their living rooms. I mean, people are still sharing. And if anybody who's not an artist ever doubted the importance of the arts, well, here you are. What's, keep, what's occupying our time? TV, movies, theater, shows, any kind of entertainment that we can get our hands on. Those are all artists. And not just the people who are performing, not just the people in front of the camera, a whole group of people behind the scenes that you never knew existed. Art matters. We are healing the world right now. And, and at the same time, hopefully healing ourselves as art allows us to do. It is a trying time, but you know, art, we represent hope and we're still providing hope, which is a beautiful thing for the world. 
Yeah, in, indeed. All kind of along the lines of, of you know, providing comfort and healing people. What, what are some, I, I know you were talking about some of the different speaking engagements that you've been involved in. And um, what, what are some of your future projects and ventures that we should expect from you, or at least um, that we may know of at, at this time? Well, it's kind of hard to say right now because so many things have been canceled. Um, I, sure. but, the, but, you know, the thing is that a lot of these things have just been postponed. Um, the Disney on Broadway concert series, that what I spoke about earlier, the, the Tim Rice tribute concert at the New York Times building that I mentioned before, that is really, that was a catalyst for all of the Disney on Broadway stuff that, 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 that we do. And it's mainly four of us singers that, that do them consistently. Myself, who played Mufasa, Ashley Brown, who played um, Mary Poppins, Josh Strickland, who played Tarzan, and Kissy Simmons, who played Nala. Um, we, just, we just performed in Japan for the second time in Tokyo um, this past February, right before all of this hit. We were supposed to be playing, doing the Philly Pops last week. It's been postponed. Um, I was supposed to perform with the Boston Pops um in may that's been postponed um i have a couple of speaking engagements for big corporations this coming summer um they may be postponed as well i'm not sure it's good to know that th these things have been postponed as, as opposed to canceled and i believe that they will still happen because we all need art we will need to be entertained we will need to be we will need to escape um we will always need that we'll need to escape to beautiful places um so those, those are things that are coming up. I had just, uh, I have sort of a recurring sh role on a show and I was just about to film an episode of it um, when all of this hit and right before production was shut down. I will be filming that when things get back up and running. So it's great to have some things to look forward to. That is a blessing. But my focus is really on nurturing myself in this moment, you know, um, and taking advantage of this moment. It's a challenging time um for us and for people we love but at the same time time is the one thing that we can't get back and many of us are blessed with the gift of time right now and we get to choose what to do with it um and i want to ask the people listening you know what are you really doing to nurture yourself what are you doing to really take care of yourself yeah you may be worrying tomorrow's not promised we're going into a new reality that none of us knows None of us know what, that, what that's going to consist of. But in this very moment, what are you doing to take care of yourself? And we get to choose. Are you taking this time to read? I always encourage my artists, my, my artist friends or my colleagues. Um, hey, now's the time to learn that song you've been wanting to work on. Now's the time to read that book. Now may be the time to start writing that book, you know, that you want to share with the world. We get to choose what to do with this time, and I hope that we're using it in ways that are nurturing. I, yeah, I appreciate the, the notion of that and valuing time and, and being mindful of time. I want to make sure we get to some uh, Disney-related questions. Sure. Uh, at the end of every episode, I ask some similar ones among all of my guests, and the segment is called Ask My Questions and Get Some Answers, mm -hmm. which is a reference yeah. to Ariel, of course. Yeah. Yes, yes. So, Alton, we're going to start with a few music-related questions. Again, these are all opinion-based, so no wrong answers. Okay. Um, so first one, I know you had 
and and I know through reading your book how much you loved music growing up and and what turned to a number of different artists as sources of inspiration. Um, thinking about Disney music, is there a Disney soundtrack that you listen to frequently or a ton uh, during your childhood? So Disney during my childhood. Uh, shoot, I could even afford Disney records when I was a kid. So there, that I, there were none. You know, Disney, I'm, I'm grateful that uh, as a family, we would watch The Wonderful World of Disney on Sunday nights. And I'm trying to think of a song that really stood out. Or even into your early adulthood, whatever was maybe really significant to you in your kind of emerging adult status even. Well, you know, I, I got to say my, my favorite Disney song, and there are certain songs I love. I mean, I loved like once when, when Disney came out, when they had their resurgence with the animated features, Little Mermaid, Beauty and the Beast. Um, I loved all those songs, but I would, would, Disney really got my attention with The Lion King. This is before I was even cast in the show. The first time I heard the song, They Live in You, that was that was the first Disney song to really touch me. It was like, whoa, because the lyrics were so beautiful and so universal. And also hearing Sam Wright, the original Mufasa, mm -hmm. the richness of that deep voice felt like, oh my God, it's like, it's like between the lyrics and his voice, it's, it's like, this is the father that everybody in the world would like to have. Everybody in the world would love to have this, this man with this voice singing these lyrics to him. So then to get to do the role, which I never even thought I'd do, was, you know, another uh, unbelievable dream come true. So I got to say, as corny as that may sound, <laughs> you know, They Live In You is really my favorite Disney song. That's awesome. Well, it makes I, remember, I remember like even before iPods and things like that, when, you know, when you had to, you know, mix your own tapes and put them in your Walkman, this was on my gym playlist. They live in you because it just, you know, in the midst of all the dance music and stuff that would pump me up, it was an inspiring song that would get me going at the gym. So that's, you know, that's how much of an effect that song had on me even before I was cast as Mufasa. I could definitely see that. Thank, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing. Uh, so your second music question is, what Disney song most recently got stuck in your head? Oh, man. It's a song that Heidi um, Blickenstaff sings in, um, in uh, Freaky Friday, the musical. Uh, we got to perform together at uh, the Disney concert series um, this past uh, January down in Florida called the um, Fest International Festival of the Arts. It's been going on for four years now. It's a huge hit at Epcot. You know, they have the Food and Wine Festival. They have the House and Garden Show. International Festival of the Arts has become a part of that now. And we got to do uh, a part of her song called I Got This. I got this. Oh, yes. I got this. That song plays in my head all the time <laughs> because you know it's another one of those inspirational songs it's like yeah I, there may be doubt but in the end i got this so that's the song that sticks in my head <laughs> oh yeah that's that's an earworm for sure totally. um third music qu question for you elton what disney film do you feel has the most underrated music oh man uh brother bear 
Brother Bear, there's some mm. incredible Phil Collins music in that in that film that just, you know, man, we did, uh, whenever we do the uh, the four singers, or sometimes five, because sometimes Heidi joins us, sometimes Mo Dandridge joins us, it depends on who's available, but for a lot of the 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 Disney cruises, the um, the member cruises, which are a big deal, we do them, you know, once, sometimes twice a year. When we do those, there's always a theme. And one year we did, we the, the cruise took us to Alaska, and it was all, the whole thing was nature. So we did, of course, Lion King stuff. We did stuff from um, On the Range, um, Alan Meekin score. And we also did some stuff from Brother Bear. And I got to sing the song that is always in my act now called um, No Way Out. That is all mm-hmm. about overcoming. Um, it's a great song about, you know, having made some mistakes and, you know, trying to find your way through, trying to apologize, trying to resolve it, and then coming out at the other end with gratitude and forgiveness. Um, I, got, I discovered that song then. There's another song called Look Through My Eyes from Brother Bear. That whole score is just absolutely stunning. So if you are looking for a hidden gem, rent that movie, DVR it, whatever, go to Disney Plus and, and see it, and you're just going to be filled with like this music. You're going to go, how the how have I never heard this music before? That is a hidden gem. Yeah, very spiritual and inspirational music, yeah. too. Yeah. So on the book front, two questions for you. One is, what is the most recent or a recent Disney book that you've read? Uh, Bob Iger's book. Very um, good. Ride yeah, of a Lifetime. Yeah. Oh, incredible. I read it in like two days. I, as soon as I found out about it, I was like, I have to get it. And I was just completely inspired. And I'm inspired now by what he's doing. You know, he stepped away and now he's back. You know, he's back in the trenches, you know, trying to, you know, help the company keep moving forward. Um, tremendous character, tremendous integrity, uh, tremendous courage. Wonderful. Uh, Another question, and I recognize that you are an author of a Disney book, but if you could write another Disney book on any topic, what would it be about? It would be it would be using the it would be about hmm, using some of the characters in in Disney in Disney um, Disney films productions and relating them to real life, like what the, what some of the characters have gone through and things they've overcome and how it relates to real life outside of the animated feature, outside of the Broadway show, outside of the Disney films. Mm, that would be really compelling. Yeah, I've actually started, I've actually kind of started writing something along those lines. Very cool. Well, I'll look forward to, to hearing more once that, uh, once that develops. Last question for you is what song in the Disney catalog have you not performed publicly that you are hoping you might be able to sing moving in the future? Well, it's so interesting that you would, that you would ask that. Um, because when I did, um, when I, with the Boston Pop, I was, I was asked to sing Ursula's song. And I thought, wow, me singing Ursula's song, Poor Unfortunate Souls, that would be interesting. Um, because I don't have a high voice like that. You know, I'm, I'm very much a baritone. I'm not a tenor who can scream and all that kind of stuff. But I thought, wow. And uh, so that's it. Poor Unfortunate Souls. I'm having a blast learning it. I'm having a blast with just like 
my own take on it. That's something I never even considered. So I would say poor unfortunate souls. Oh, that that that's gonna be good, I can tell. <laughs> yeah. And with the Boston Pops, I mean my goodness, oh. that incredible orchestra. So I'm looking very, very forward to that. Wonderful. That's that's great. I'm excited for you about that. And and then let's make sure that listeners know how to follow your work and or get in touch with you on social media. Yeah, thank you. Um, I am on Facebook under Alton Fitzgerald White um, fan page. Um, I am on Instagram under Alton2459. That's A-L-T-O-N 2459. Um, I have a Disney My Way page. Um, and I'm on Twitter under uh, at White Alton. My website where you can get, you can see clips of me. You can see, you can hear some tracks from my CD. You can see interviews, all kinds of fun stuff. That's AltonFitzgeraldWhite.com. You can also order my book. Um, you can get my book on Amazon, but many, after I stopped doing book signings, I thought, how can I get books to people who still want to sign book? You can go to my website, order an autographed book, and I will, I will personal, I personalize it to you and send it to your home. It will be cheaper than buying the book at a store. I just make it really, really easy for you. The posted and handling is all included. You can do it as gifts. It comes in real, real handy, especially around Christmas time. I get lots of orders to send books all over the country uh, to people from other people, which is, you know, another kind of service that I enjoy doing because I, I love sharing the message. That's wonderful. And, and what, what wonderful messages you have to thank relate you. to folks. So thank you again, Alton, for your time. Brett, thank you for the invitation, man. This has been incredible. You asked incredible questions and thank you for reading my book. Um, and thank you for the invitation. It's been wonderful sharing this afternoon, doing service this afternoon with you. And thank you once again to Alton for joining me on Notably Disney. I really appreciate the chance to hear from the author and performer himself, really allowing those beautiful words in his book to come through via the context of this dialogue. We're able to, as you heard, explore some of these themes in more depth and also reveal new insights into the character and drive that really define him as a, a unique individual in our in, in the entertainment industry, one who really delivers on that kindness, thoughtfulness, and really empowerment for so many individuals to realize the possibilities they can bring, that notion of altruism and giving back to different communities as he illustrated that notion of service. It's really much effervescent. So thank you again, Alton. And I, of course, highly <laughs> encourage you to pick up a copy of his book and album. You really won't be disappointed in the least. You'll be wanting more if you were anything like how I consumed both of them very quickly. So thank you for joining me, Alton. Thanks again for joining me on another episode of Notably Disney. I invite you to subscribe to the podcast and leave a review. Follow me on Twitter at bnachmanreports. That's B-N-A-C-H-M-A-N reports. And be among the first to find out about the release of new episodes. I also encourage you to send me an email to notablydisney at gmail.com regarding your thoughts of the show, as well as suggestions for content. So until we turn the page on another chapter, I'm Brett, and thanks for listening to Notably Disney.
Notably, Disney is not affiliated with the Walt Disney Company or any of its subsidiaries. Consequently, the perspectives and opinions expressed by the host and guests are strictly theirs and do not represent the views of the Walt Disney Company and its employees. The main purpose of the Notably Disney podcast is to offer information and critiques about the Walt Disney Company.